Welcome to the Creative Entrepreneur Podcast, where mindset and marketing meet purpose, passion, and profits. I'm Bob Baker, and if you're a creative entrepreneur or someone who runs a heart-centered business, you're in the right place. To get a free collection of sample chapters from my books and audiobooks, just pay a quick visit to promoteyourcreativity.com. That's promoteyourcreativity.com. Now, enjoy the episode. How would you like to hack the entrepreneur with John Naster? I know it sounds a little violent, but really it isn't. This is like an amazingly inspiring interview. I really enjoyed this one. I know that you will too. This is about a punk rock drummer who took that rock and roll attitude and brought it to business. It's the story of how he created a wildly popular podcast and then last year wrote his first book in I think a three-month or less period and has since sold like over 6,000 copies of this book. Really an amazing, amazing story. So buckle up because this is The Creative Entrepreneur Season 2, Episode 17. So my guest today is the host of the Hack the Entrepreneur podcast. He's also the author of a book by the same name. And uh, what really has me intrigued is that he is a punk rock musician, which means that I'm excited to be speaking with John Naster. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Bob. So yeah, I, I want to start with that musician aspect, because as we discussed before I hit the record button, I'm a long-time musician myself, and uh, you know, uh, music marketing is kind of the space that I've occupied on online and through many books that I've published over the years. Tell me a little bit about your, like, what do you play, and what's your, what, what is your experience in, in music, and particularly in punk rock, right? Isn't that your, your main genre? That is my thing. I, I play drums. So I, I've been playing drums, I mean, since early high school, just before high school. And I joined my first um, real touring punk rock band when I was, I think I was 17, I'm pretty sure. I just remember joining them about two months before we went on our first Cross Canada tour. And I remember writing my last final exam for the year. I think it was grade 11. And writing my last final exam for the year and like everyone just kind of wrapping up and people just like going outside to just hang out at the park and stuff. And I walked outside and my van was literally waiting there with my band for me. And I just got in and we just went across the country and it transformed my life. And ever since then, I just kind of fell in love with not just the music side of it, but the whole do it yourself sort of ethos of punk rock and if you want something done don't wait for somebody to tell you you can just step up and do it and that's kind of now evolved into i mean just how i sort of run my life and my businesses and that's the thing that really i think if i didn't have that in my life at that time i wouldn't be where i am today cool. even though i'm not doing it any well I, I still am in bands but i don't tour and that kind of stuff that was a question i planned on on asking but you but you brought it up how that ethic and and I think punk rock was one of the fr- the early like 
DIY. I don't know. I don't know where the where the term DIY originated, but I know that the uh, in music in particular, it was the punk rock scene maybe in the UK that had that kind of underground grassroots thing. I mean, I'm sure there's always been that throughout the history of music, but that stood out for me as really being that ethic, not using a lack of money or lack of connections as an excuse. You know, and so uh, it sounds like you did apply that to your entrepreneurial life as well. Yeah, and I, I don't think intentionally, but now it's one of those things that it doesn't always make sense life and as we're going through it, right? Mm-hmm. But looking back, it's like, yeah, that's totally like just being in high school and being in a small town where people didn't put on shows and we knew bands were coming through because we'd see it in like maximum rock and roll or something or punk planet that they were coming across Canada, but they're not playing here. And then it's like, we want them to play here. So rather than like, Oh, I wish somebody would do it. It's like, we find out how to like phone these people and like, we'll put on a show for you. Our band will open and then we'll like buy pop and snacks from like the grocery store and we'll sell it for more money and we'll make money and we'll give it to this band to keep going and they'll start telling other people. And so that was kind of the thing. Right. And so then that sort of evolved to me trying a whole bunch of different stuff throughout my twenties. And so it's just one of those things where it's like, I don't know where I'll end up from here, but then looking back, it's like, that's the clear path of through. Um, and I've just always kept that now when I get annoyed with something online or something bothers me, or I wish that a podcast existed, or I wish that a book existed. I don't just wish anymore. I just like, I'm just going to create it then. I'll just make it myself. I did this when I was in my teens. I'll continue doing it now. And it seemed to work for me. Cool. So. And that, that's actually how I blended my two. Uh, so, since, since I was a kid, I had a, uh, I had a passion for music and then a passion for the written word. Uh, they were kind of separate things for a long time. But in my 20s, locally, I was frustrated by the lack of coverage that local bands got in my hometown of St. Louis, Missouri. And I combined them for the first time. I said, I'm going to publish my own local music newspaper, you know, and, and, and I did that for 10 years. And it was and that led to eventually my books being published and all that, all that good stuff. But I, you know, they talk about creating your own platform online these days. But I guess I created my own platform in the pre-internet days. Exactly, exactly. It's just I think it's not easier now, but it's I think it's simpler now because mm-hmm. we have such scale and leverage. Um, but it's still a ton of work, right, to create that platform for yourself, Absolutely. even with the internet. Absolutely. So you're from you're from Canada, right? So I am. Where, where at exactly? And I'm in Thunder Bay, Ontario, which is if you're in Minneapolis and you drive directly north, about six hours in a car, you'll get right to my doorstep. Okay. Are you in the central time zone like I am in St. No, Louis? I'm the very edge of Eastern, actually. Oh, like all the right. Very, the very, very Western edge of Eastern. Okay, cool. And then the bands that you played in, uh, were there any of the names of note that anyone might remember from? Uh, that probably not, but that first band, I actually just heard myself on Spotify uh, the other day, totally by accident, just like going through. And then I was like, it said, this artist is also on this, and it was a compilation. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm on that compilation. And then I got to listen. So awesome. the first band that I toured in, um, they were called Head Cramp. They were like a sort of hardcore punk band. Um, and then the Dinks is a band. We were like Ramones style. Oh, cool. And that, that's the band that's now on Spotify, or at least the one song is. And um, But we were all young, and it was pre-internet. I mean, we got some videos played and sold some records, but... Uh, mostly we just toured and had fun. Right. So, and so are, do you consider yourself a former musician or do you still play a little bit? Or I play, in, I play in two bands actively right now. I jam or practice like at least twice a week, but usually three to four times a week at night just with my two bands. We're recording a bit 
And actually, we just got accepted. We're going to be playing a cover show, which we don't play any cover sh- like cover stuff usually. But <laughs> there's been this annual cover show going on. Um, I say amongst the kids in my city, where like three venues put on this show, and it's all bands that mostly I've never heard of. But my band, we're called Secret Baby at this point, but we're going to do a minor threat cover show mm. um so we just got accepted so now we have this playlist and i gotta learn a, a set of minor threat songs um which is gonna be really fun but i typically don't play that fast anymore so it's gonna be like <laughs> oh i gotta go back um so it'll be fun um and so that's at the end of may so i do still play i just it's not what i do for like i don't have aspirations of grandeur and then I, I've lost that a long time ago. I'm not lost that, but I just moved on. I, I get my creative satisfaction from my business now. That's just something I really like to do with friends. And I don't ever want to stop just hammering on drums because yeah. it's like my form of meditation. Same here. Yeah, cool, cool. Um, and so it sounds like you're doing a tribute set instead of being a tribute band, right? <laughs> you're doing exactly. Great- <laughs> yeah, totally. And for like a 1980s Washington, D.C. hardcore band. So I love it. So give me a little bit, yeah, this uh, of, of, the, of the story, how you went from the, you know, the, the punk rock drummer to what led up to Hack the Entrepreneur. I know there was some different, you got online and there was some different business ventures, but if you can give me sort of like the Reader's Digest version of your journey from that yeah, to where you are now. Totally. So, I mean, punk rock drummer and starting out, that was, I mean, my late teens and now I'm in my late 30s. So there's a huge gap in the middle there, but I spent... Most of my 20s just kind of like at the beginning, like working at record stores and that kind of stuff. And then I actually moved with my band. Um, we got in a van again and we moved across the country to the West Coast. And I lived out there for six or seven years. Um, and then the band fell apart due to usual band issues. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I then just I actually started a business in construction um with new houses and stuff out in out there because it was just i had some friends we could do this and it was just me it was like well i never even thought to like i'm gonna go look for a job it's just not how i think so I was like i'm gonna go start doing something and i started doing it and it was fun and it was good and then we had a child out there with my wife who i met out there and i just at about like her second birthday it was kind of just like oh i was just working too much all of it just kind of frustrated us so i sold the business and moved back to the center of canada and then that's when i like spent a couple years sort of like i need to get away from this whole like brick and mortar offline sort of i didn't there was something about it that i just wasn't into anymore mostly because i wanted to travel more i wanted to be able to do things that i wanted to do and every time i had worked offline and started a business it involved me being somewhere outside of my house or away from where I wanted to be for 10, 12 hours a day. And I didn't want that anymore. So I had some time and resources to be able to spend a couple years sort of figuring out this whole online game. Then I got into software and then it evolved to Hack the Entrepreneur back in 2014, I guess. And now a year and a half later, I'm sitting here. And Hack the Entrepreneur started, it still is a podcast. Is that correct? Yes. And, yes. and of all the different mediums, you know, because like people are always confused about what should I do? Should I blog? Should I do a, a video, you know, YouTube channel? And so you had all these options. Then why did you just decide on a podcast as your primary vehicle? Was there your music and audio background maybe a factor? Or? Um. No, because the last thing I ever would have thought would be that I would be 
a podcaster. I've always hated my voice. Like literally to the point where if I record my daughter on like an iPhone and like a video and I say something in the background, I just cringe at it. And now I, I talk all the time into a microphone. So it's kind of mind blowing to me. So I started the show September 2014. Yeah. So September 2014. So if you go back uh, about four or five months to March of that same year, I went to the Philippines to a conference, um, a small conference put on by Chris Ducker. And there was some really smart people there and some really smart podcasters like Pat Flynn and stuff. So those people, we sort of masterminded, had brainstorming sessions. And I had some I had a lot of freedom from having to work at that point. I had a software business that was running and doing what it needed to do. And I didn't have to do that much. But I wanted to get out there more and sort of build this personal quote unquote brand whatever that means. But I wanted to kind of be in the face of something. I wanted to work directly with people. I was kind of behind the scenes just selling software before. And so the idea with people was they were just like, well, you can talk really well. You can kind of like you get excited about things and you should push it to a podcast. And I was like, that's the last thing I should do. I should not pod. I think I can write fairly well, but I just shouldn't. But then it kind of, I let it stew for a couple of months and I was literally out on a, out at a cottage and over the weekend I reread Gary Vaynerchuk's crush it book. Yeah. And that was the weekend. I was like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to interview people this coming week. I'd never interviewed anybody in my life. And I just went home and I sent out some emails. I did my first interviews that Thursday and I spent the whole summer sort of putting together this idea of hack the entrepreneur. I came up with the idea of the name and the brand at the beginning of the summer, but it was just kind of playing with like audio and trying to figure out, I wanted to have a hook that kept people listening, all these things that I was trying to really implement. And then my thought was that I would do 30 to 50 episodes and I would talk to the people I really wanted to talk to about business and entrepreneurship that probably wouldn't get on a call with me if I just called like just, Hey, you just want to get on a call and talk. They'd probably be like, I'm kind of busy but I'm going to put this show out. It'll be great. So everyone's like, okay. Um, And I thought it would just be that. It would be my own thing. I'd get to talk business and entrepreneurship to really smart people. But then it kind of, after about six to eight weeks, it kind of just like snowballed different than I expected. And I made this, I had to make this decision of either to kind of go all into it and push it to see how far I could take it or to maybe a year from now or six months from now, look back and wonder, hmm, I wonder what I could have done with that. Like there just seemed to be this spark that I felt. And so I dropped things and I just went for it. Um, and then it kind of exceeded where I thought it could go. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You, you mentioned Pat Flynn. And I've actually, I've met Pat when he was in St. Louis and he's been a, a, a guest on the, on the show here too. And he's, he has a great example of, of he's kind of dominates all the formats. Fall of 2014, was, was that the same time that John Lee Dumas started his Entrepreneur on Fire? Was he that... was two before, two years before me. Oh, two years. Oh, he, oh, yeah, because was... John, John was actually at that conference in the Philippines as well. Okay. He was one of the people. He's like, dude, you have to do this. Yeah, he's uh, like Mr. Pot. He got, came out and doing one interview a day for like, you know, yeah. I, don't know still, I don't know if he's still on that, on that pace. but He is. Uh, well, no, he does five, I think, a week. Yeah. Now, so and so how many, how many podcasts have you? So you're basically a year and a half into it. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Episode 215 came out two days ago. And so what is that? How many per week on average? Now I'm doing three. I'm doing Monday, Tuesday, Thursdays now. Okay, and they're all interview formats, right? 
or yes, pr- pr- all interviews. Yeah. yeah, and so um, that's what I've always heard. I've, and so I've been pretty prolific, but in but in multiple like you know I've I've been blogging. I have been podcasting for ten or eleven years. Uh, been doing YouTube videos, but I guess my one drawback is I never picked one thing to really like be on a set schedule with. You know, and that seems to be the key is to pick that platform and then hammer it. And that's what you have you have done. It's funny, earlier uh, you mentioned the Ramones, and this seems like a weird segue, but so one of my more recent books is called The Nine Irrefutable Laws of Music Marketing. And in there, I think one of them is the law of consistency, but I use the Ramones as an example of a band that had this image and this sound and this look that they stuck with for like 20-some-odd years, you know, and, and while it may seem kind of boring creatively, that stuck, you know, and so like just being consistent with who you are and what you do and being on a regular schedule, don't you think that's like a key element to success? Yeah. I think it's immensely um, like just super powerful. I mean, ACDC has done it too, right? I yeah. mean, and people who aren't into it always like, well, it's just another ACDC record. And it's like, if you're into ACDC though, it's not just another ACDC record or another Ramones record. It's like, man, it's another Ramones record. This right. is amazing. Right. You know what I mean? It's, it's really cool because you can have creativity and sort of nuanced changes within a very specific thing. Like to me, I'm a Ramones fan. I can tell the difference between like, like rocket to Russia and like adios amigos. Like they're different records, same band doing the quote unquote, same thing. But to me, like a true fan, it's like, there's different, like huge differences, right? It's same with ACDC or something where if you're not a true fan to you, it's like, it's all the same. It's all just noisy, fast music. And then if you are, so to me, it can be changed, but consistency is absolutely imperative. And my consistency has changed with Hack the Entrepreneur in the, in the amount of shows I done per week. But once I get into a pattern, I keep it for at least six months or a year. And then I stick with that. Mm-hmm. But it has changed. I've I've tried more episodes. I've tried less episodes. And I found that three works the best for me. Cool. And you picked some really good, uh, I don't know how much research you did, but the word hack, I know, has been used uh, been used a lot in, in recent years. And, may, and, and then entrepreneur, of course, is, is, a, is a, so combining those into the name of your show and the name of your book seemed like it was a pretty smart move. <laughs> I would think. That- yeah, it's and and it's not that's not me at all. Most smart things that happen around me aren't because of me. <laughs> that was actually a really good friend of mine, another person that I met in the Philippines at that same trip and super super smart guy and we were actually going to start hack the entrepreneur together. We went on a couple walks just like, well, I went, he lives in Australia. So I would go on a walk on Skype on my phone and just talking about ideas and he came up with this idea of hacking the entrepreneur and then he just dropped the ball and didn't follow through but at the same but i like bought the url as soon as i got home i was like i can't believe that's available mm-hmm. so it seemed like a good fit for like a keyword and a good sort of title which is a hard thing to come up with sometime yeah. these days another thing that you did that was smart and i can't remember there's a phrase that i use is something like uh, uh build credibility by association but when you started your podcast you were relatively unknown in the online entrepreneurial space or, or whatever but by interviewing other people that were movers and shakers by association, you in, improved your own identity. And so that's something to be said. You know, I, I, that's, that's, that's something that anybody in any field could really do, right? Or was that a part yeah. of your strategy, I guess, as well? Well, I, it happens inadvertently. And I, I mean, yeah, it, it, through like 
through just sort of being close in proximity to these all smart people, you get kind of lumped into being smart with them, which is kind of funny, right? Sure. It was It's kind of like if you want to become an expert in something, all you really have to do is just interview a whole bunch of experts and you become an expert in that field. It's the basis of how it works. Um, I mean, I actually – let me just see if I can open this up. I have, um, I have a document that I still use to this day for every – interview that I do on my show, it says right at the top, and I literally wrote this before I did my first interview, and it's a quote from Tony Robbins, who I'm not really a huge fan of, but I had looked it up, kind of psyching myself up that I could do this, and it was, if you want to become an expert, interview the top 20 experts in any field. And that was all it says. And it says that in bright red at the top. And I was because I had to convince myself that I don't have to be the expert or the known person in starting this. It can be a very viable vehicle for people to learn in a tool if I just sort of get out of the way and let the experts talk and do their thing. And I'll just kind of get pulled along. Mm -hmm. And I thought I actually thought that it was going to be I said It'll be 100 episodes before I become an expert. And at like episode 50, I got asked by Entrepreneur if I would start writing for them weekly. And then at like episode 70, I got asked by Copyblogger Media if I would join them. And be, it's like, wow. So it actually happens before episode 100. <laughs> <laughs> but it was That's like great. you can see the trajectory sort of happen in that way. It's really just you have to get over yourself and know that you don't need that. Also in the fact that I'm in a tiny little town. In the middle of a massive country with hardly any people, and I've created a platform of like millions of people I've reached from here. Like, I don't have to be in New York City. I don't have to be no. in Silicon Valley. You don't don't tell me that geography is your problem because I live in a smaller town than you, in a smaller country than you. I can promise it. And still, somehow, just from my basement with a laptop and a microphone, I've just managed to reach millions of people. So. It's that's not the problem. The problem is yourself and getting in your own way. It's not that you're not an expert or that you are in the wrong city because I wasn't an expert and I was in the wrong city, too. I just did it still. Anyways, so. wow! I should put those last couple of minutes on a loop and just listen over and over again. I love that. Yeah. Don't use geography as an excuse or your yeah, your your sorry state. That's awesome, yeah. And I totally believe that, yet there are still people that have that stigma about I need to be in a major you know, in industry town or whatever. I just want to take a quick break from the interview to remind you that one of my most recent books is called The Empowered Artist. The subtitle is A Call to Action for Musicians, Writers, Artists, and Anyone Who Wants to Make a Difference with Their Creativity. Uh, and of all the 12 paperback books that I've published over the years, this is probably the most inspired resource that I've ever created. It's all about the mindset of artists and the work ethic and the success principles that most creative people embody to do more with their artwork. However you define success, these tips will help you get there. The book is available as an ebook and a paperback on Amazon. So you can go there and order it. Uh, however, I also want to make you aware that I have a special page for the Artist Empowerment Movement, as I'm calling it. Uh, it's empartist.com. Just think of the first three letters of empowered, E-M-P, and then the word artist.com. You can go there and find out all about the things related to the movement, including the book and a mastermind and uh 
podcast or this one that you're listening to, The Creative Entrepreneur. And there's a special deal for my website only. Uh, if you order the paperback from that link, I'll throw in some extra digital cool bonuses um, that you'll get. And you get also free shipping to anywhere in the world, seriously. And so if you want a paperback copy, check that out or go to Amazon and uh, order it that way. It's gotten a lot of rave reviews from readers, and so I would love for you to be inspired by these ideas as well. So thanks for checking out this quick break. And now back to the interview. Uh, the uh, Hack the Entrepreneur book came about as, I, I assume, uh, looking over the description of it, yeah, it, it features some of like best sound, our best advice from many of the interviews that you've done com- compiled into book form. How would you describe agree, the book? yes. It's the ones that I thought were most, I guess, had most of an impact on me. And I had 150 interviews at that point, and I needed a way to sort of break them down into the categories I wanted to cover so that I could take people sort of on this transformative journey through understanding entrepreneurship the way it is today. So it's not necessarily the best, but it's the best ones that fit into, it's broken into five categories, the book, which is getting started and then mindset ideas being wrong and then ending with growth. And there's 10 for each of those. So it's the 10 best for each of those that fit. Um, So it's not inherently the the most popular or the best ones overall, if that makes sense, but it's the most digestible and I think the most transformative for the reader to, to kind of start to really understand and stop overcomplicating what entrepreneurship actually is, um, which is something I did myself. Cool. And when, when did that book come out? Uh, December 14th of 2015. So yes, just recently. 20- yeah, so as we did, we're recording this in the spring of 2016, so just a few months ago. How well? And, and did you also did you self-publish that? Yes, self-published. It was it was launched in conjunction with Insurgent Publishing, but it was it's completely self-published myself in paperback and in uh, in digital format. Um, the the one interesting thing about the book is that it came out December 14th, 2015. And I looked it up and the day that I decided, yes, okay, I'm going to do this book um, and figure out how to do it was September 28th. I sent an email to a friend, told him I'm going to write this book and release it on December 14th. Uh, And then that's all I did. And I literally just spent the next couple of weeks trying to figure out what it was going to be like. There was this whole like, okay, 50 things, 10, five, and like trying to organize, figure out on a Trello board, what order should I'll be in? And then I hired two editors and we just went to work. And then I got with Insurgent and we just pushed through. And so just over two months after like the first email that I'm going to do this, I wrote a book, edited the book, rewrote the book, re-edited the book, designed the book and launched the book. Wow. And Congratulations. Yeah. Man, oh man. So to me, it's like kind of how you have to do it. Like if I would have said, I'm going to launch it in May, it's I, I would have put it off till March. So I might as well just do it now. It's all I could think. And so I did it. And I never thought I was an author. I, I still honestly don't think I'm an author. I think the book's really good. The book transformed into something different than I thought it was going to be at the beginning. I thought it was going to be a rehash of sort of the best episodes, but it's somewhere in there. I was like, no, this needs to be something more for people. And I have a goal of 10,000 copies. I said that the day before I launched, I want to sell 10,000 copies in the next 12 months. 
I'm about, I think, 68% there right now. Wow. Um, which is pretty cool. And it's still, I sell about 20, 25 a day, um, which is awesome. And so I should, I'm not going to say I should, like, if I rest on my laurels, I'm not going to hit my goal, but I'm really hoping to hit my goal. That's my goal. Well, my goal is to hit my goal. Oh, yeah. Bob. <laughs> I, I, I love that story. And maybe uh, talking about it here will help sell a few more copies. So I'll yeah. definitely link to it in the show notes. Well, that's an awesome extended view of your background, John. I, we, I just love that conversation. But let me go ahead and just kind of jump into some of the questions I like to ask all of my guests, because this really is about you and your journey and sort of the things that make you tick. And so if I were to ask you for like three key things that were responsible for you know your growth and that led to what you're doing now, I imagine we've already touched on some of them, but just in, just in case, what would those three key elements be that I think helped you get to where you are now? It's a good question. Those three things would be birthdays, maniacs, and a willingness to suck. <laughs> what, b- birthdays? Birthdays. Okay. So birthdays is, as anybody knows who's past like seven years old, I'm going to say, anyone listening probably is you. Um, we, we stop caring. We stop really caring about our birthdays. But kids especially under seven, get so excited. So when I had a daughter, um, I didn't care. I was like late 20s and I just didn't care about birthdays. And she started reminding me of my birthday coming up like nine months in advance. Daddy, your birthday is in like this many days and counting down. And it really gave me uh, a concept of, okay, it's been another year and I'm not doing anything more exciting or anything further of what I want to be doing. And so I had reached that whole point in my late 20s where it was like you'd sit around with your buddies having a beer and being like, oh, remember when we went to that concert last year? It's like, oh, that was like five years ago. Like how time just kind of blurred together. But then my daughter was born and it was like there was no more blurring time. There was these birthdays every single year where to the point where by her third birthday, I was like, by her fourth birthday, I'm going to be kicking ass and like have a business online. And I know that it's coming because all year she's going to start reminding me my birthday. Daddy, your birthday's in 10 months. Daddy, your birthday's in nine months. Daddy, your birth. And it was like, I need to work. I need to work. I need to work. And by the time we came around to that fourth birthday, I had a software business. And to me, that's absolutely imperative. And I tell people now, if you don't have a kid to remind you, mark it on your calendar today because a year right now from now seems like a long time away. But think about a year ago today, looking back, it's so short. So mark that calendar right now, get it to remind you every single month that whatever you set out to do today, it's 11 months away. It's 10 months away. It's nine months away. So that's birthdays, man. It transformed my life. It's like awareness <laughs> of of the passage of time and how, yeah, it's going to be here before you know it and how it took a child to make you aware of that. <laughs> That's really cool. Because, yeah, the older we get, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, time seems to just fly by. I always heard that when I was younger, but now that I'm a kid. I know, I'm, I know. Uh, so birthday's awesome. No one's ever said that on this on this show. So now Maniacs was your second one. I can't, I can't imagine what that might be. Maniacs, when I started Hack the Entrepreneur, before that, I, I always thought you needed products. Create a product, you build it, and they will come, right? And then there was the other, like, get an email list and, like, get, like, tens of thousands or millions of people following you and grow these giant platforms. And I've realized that it's not about just having this massive platform of people that are kind of interested in you. It's really about that whole thousand true fans, mm. um, which I've now called Maniacs. I don't need 10,000 people around me. If I have 500 people that are absolutely maniacal about what John Nastor does, I can make a really good living. 
I, I live that. And it's amazing to me that I have just this small group of people around me that are so into what I do that when I release a book, it can go to like the best selling in business on Amazon the next day. And I'm not even a writer. That's amazing to me, those kind of things. So don't think that it's again, like, don't be limited by your own geography. Don't be limited by the fact that, well, I'll never get 10,000 fans or I'll never get a hundred. You don't need 10,000 fans. You get 500 people that are super into you and you release a book or you release an album. Those people will not only buy it and be really into it, but they will share it with so many other people and be like evangelical about it and get it out there for you. So just focus on the maniacs, focus on the people. Don't focus on even finding people. Just focus on repelling everyone else oh, by good, what good you point. say, what you do. And then the people that are remaining standing are your maniacs. And those are the people that will transform your career and your business and your work. And isn't it important to cater to them, thank them? Is there a certain way that you relate to the maniacs or you recommend that you do? Yeah, the same way that you relate to anybody else you want to maintain a relationship with. If you have a good friend that you really care about and like he emails you, you typically respond to it, um, right? If, the, if your friend came on Twitter and said like, hey, you should check this out. It's pretty cool. You wouldn't just ignore them. And so don't do that to these people that are your maniacs. They are your friend extended network. It doesn't mean if somebody asks if they can borrow a thousand dollars. I mean, it's like, well, you're not my real friend in that way. But you know what I mean? Like people yeah. say they want this group of people around them. Then that person sends them an email to ask for something or to like get some advice on something. And you just ignore them. The like, goal, oh, they're just different. People. It's like, well, that's that's not that's not how you build a relationship, mm -hmm. whether it's with your significant other or with it's with a friend or with it's with your band. If somebody asks you for something, you respond, you be a human being to them and you just treat them good. That's how relationships continue to grow and flourish do not think of it in any other way there's no tricks there's no tactics there's no secret except for just being a cool person that people want to be around and that's it that's what you want from them that's what you should do back to them and continue to deliver the value that attracted them to you in the first place i assume like exactly in your case it would yeah. be it'd be more podcasts and in a band it'd be more albums and tours and and so on um, Mostly just don't overthink it. Yeah. yeah. Mostly just don't overthink it and just be cool. And that's why they're there anyways, because they like your quirkiness and whatever it is you're about. So just give them that more of it. Do you actually call them maniacs like, you know, like like Lady Gaga calls her, I think her fans like little monsters or, or, or something, you know. Actually. I do call them maniacs. Oh, do you really? Oh, OK. Yeah. So you give them sort of an identity. In that yeah, way. I do. And I've actually like just started up a community around it um, called 1000 Maniacs. So it's. Oh, cool. As opposed yeah. to 10,000 Maniacs, the band, right? Exactly. <laughs> okay, cool. I love this. Birthdays, Maniacs, and then willingness to suck. <laughs> I think I know where you're going there, but preach about that, brother. I've started a podcast that's reached millions of people from a place where, uh, like I said, I'm completely isolated and I had never interviewed anybody in my life. Uh, but I did it. I hated the sound of my voice. I don't sing on records. I don't, I just don't like my voice on recordings and I was willing to suck and do it because I felt a bigger need to reach out and expand in the way I wanted to. And I didn't care or I didn't let myself care. I had this willingness to suck and it blew my mind around 50 episodes and a hundred episodes when I would get emails from people like, I love your interview style and like your accent and all these things that it's like, Oh my God. Like I never thought I would be hearing this. Mm -hmm. And at first I was just like, Oh, you're just lying to me. Just trying to continue. So I'd keep going and sucking because I, you like watching this train wreck, but it was just this willingness to just not be awesome 
at first and I still don't think I'm awesome. Trust me, but I'm way better than I ever was 215 episodes ago. And there's no way to get here without doing that because now I get those emails. It's like, John, how do I learn to be like a good interviewer like you? It's like, well, I I just do 215 of them in the next 18 months. (laughs) Trust me, you'll be better than I am because I, you probably are starting off from a better spot than I did, Mm -hmm. but there's no way I couldn't get better. It's just it, except for accepting the fact and the willingness to suck. Yeah, being and being willing to take action despite the discomfort, despite the uncertainty. Yeah, you have to take action with, like, become comfortable being uncomfortable in the fact that you don't know how to do something. And to me, that's excitement. That's how life should be. Life shouldn't be just like, well, I know how to do this, so I'm going to go do this same thing for the next 50 years until I retire and die. That's not me. I don't want that. And to right. me, that's not exciting and not enticing and not engaging. Cool. So that means I have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, one thing you probably don't know about me is one of the one of the creative things that I do is I teach and perform improv comedy. Um, like whose line is it anyway? If you're familiar, our second city, wow. um, and yeah. it's it's a really a source of joy, and you know, yeah, I can make a little money doing it too. Um, but that is, a, I, I recommend everybody take an improv class or two because it's a great exercise in well, yeah, being be getting comfortable with uncertainty because you never know where a scene is going to unfold, facing your fear, you know, and so uh, and it, there's a lot of life lessons in in improv, and so just maybe think of that. <laughs> I love it. Um, and it's a lot of fun, too. We could all could stand to laugh more. My we God. Could. So my next question about is about uh, challenges. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you have faced uh, business or creative challenges throughout your uh, journey. If you could point out or think of one in particular challenge you faced, how you overcame it, and what you learned from it, I would love to hear that. Yeah, of course. Uh, I think it's a business and creative challenge for me. Um, it was sort of the lack of merging the two uh, because I was overcomplicating entrepreneurship at the beginning. I thought it meant guys in suits, uh, businessmen sort of thing. And I thought that entrepreneurship strictly meant building businesses. But now I've of the mindset and I absolutely know fully in all my soul that entrepreneurship is simply creating something out of nothing. Um, whether that's a painting that you're creating out of nothing and you can then market in some way and make a living from that creation or it's music or it's software or it's a podcast or it's a book, that is absolutely key. I've, I've said with my book from September 28th to December 14th, I don't consider myself a writer, but I have a book that's literally a bestseller and has sold like <laughs> thousands and thousands and thousands of copies from yeah. people all over the world blows my mind, but I couldn't have done this before thinking about entrepreneurship as just creating something out of nothing. This to me is an entrepreneurial project that I took under where I had this big idea and it wasn't like, this is my prized possession that I'm only going to write one book ever and building it up so much that it ends up being that book that's half written that's in your drawer like everybody has and never gets to see the light of day. It was like, no, this is a project. I'm going to take a big idea. I'm going to break it down to as many small ideas as I can. Then I'm going to bring in a couple of experts who have done this before and can push me through this whole idea. And that's it. That's how things get done. And that's how I really get to I love the fact that I have a book. It blows my mind. It actually, like, I look at it sometimes and I'm like, that's crazy. I can't believe this happens so fast. And I'm yeah. so proud of it that it's like, wow. But if I had thought of it as something more, if I had overcomplicated it and not broken it down to, no, this is me being an entrepreneur. I can bring other people that are smarter and better and faster and quicker and know how to launch books and know how to write books. I can bring those people in, make me a better person, make me a better writer, and I can get this out 
and go on. And it's a project that to me completely transformed the way I deal with life and just my success, quote unquote, that I've had is now I try in everything that I want to do and I get this idea to do. I just think about it as literally the creation of something out of nothing. Awesome. I love that. I love that. Um, and I love the, the whole concept of, of, simp- of simplifying it and not be stuck in tunnel vision about what something means or what it means to create your own business. Yeah, I, I too, when I thought of entrepreneur, I think those people that are, that, you know, they do the startups and they get the venture capital and they get the, all the, you know, 100 people working and uh, whatever. Uh, and it's like, that just bores the hell out of me. So, our, me too. Me too. <laughs> so I, I like doing what we're doing, working from home. And reaching people all over all over the the world. So now that you're an author, John, I'm sure over the years you have uh, you have been a, a reader as well. So now that you you know your book is out there changing lives, what is a book um, that changed your life at some point along the way? That's very impactful for you. Yeah, totally. This I'll, I'm actually going to give you a quote from the book first. Um, you have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steal yourself in any direction you choose. I think I know. Oh, the places you go, Dr. <laughs> Seuss. Light, like literally just it's a life changing book for me. I've given that book to more people than I've given any other book. People can laugh if they want. But if you don't want to buy it next time you're walking by a bookstore, just go in and read it because it'll take you 10 minutes. And it's powerful. It's and the simplicity of it is beautiful. And it, that's it. Like, we all have brains, we all have feet, or most of us have feet. Um, Maybe we don't, but you can still. You can literally choose any direction, and you can go that way if you do it. Um, And that, to me, is powerful, powerful stuff. And it's not just wooey, wooey stuff. Like, you, we have the tools to to do what we want. We just have to step up and do it. Wow. And so did you first encounter that book when you were a kid or when you were an an, an adult? I was, yeah, I was, I think. Reading it to your daughter, maybe, or? I'm going to say, no, I was 18 or 19. So I was just ending high school when I can't even remember. I think actually a girlfriend at the time bought it for me. I'm pretty sure. Um, And I've given it now to so many people since then. Um, But it's it's an amazing book. My daughter now has the book as well, of course. And it's brilliant, man. Oh, the places you'll go. You've read it, right? Uh, You know, I'm a Dr. Seuss fan, and I don't know, not as much as I have, like, the Grinch and and Green Eggs and Ham and Cat in the Hat. I think I need to relook at that. Yes, <laughs> get a, a copy. But I know the message in it, though. Yeah, and I've, I've heard people reference it. But I think it's the first time it's been mentioned on this podcast. So that's awesome, Doctor Seuss. There's another first. And then here's a kind of a deep question here. But um, you know, all the stuff that you do, whether it's the you know the music or the or your current entrepreneurial efforts with the book and the podcast, like what's your underlying like what truly motivates you to do all this stuff? Another way of asking it is, what's your big why? That kind of powers everything that you do. Yeah, I I have a really distinct fear of dying, <laughs> wow. um, and not in like not in like a sense where I actually don't fear the dying. I don't. I fear not having done the things that I could probably do when it comes time to lying there on my deathbed. So I really have this distinct fear of like being there on like the day I die and looking back and thinking of the things that I should have tried and wondering what I could have maybe accomplished. I refused. It was like that point with 
Hack the Entrepreneur after it launched, where I felt there was this spark. And it was like, I don't want to look back in six months and just think, just be sitting there even for one second and be like, I wonder what I could have done with Hack the Entrepreneur if I would have just pushed it. So I pushed it. I pushed it as hard as I could um, just because I want to see. I don't want to know what it's like to release a best-selling book. I mean, I don't want to think like, hmm, what would that have been like? I'm glad I know. It's amazing to me. And life is short. I don't know how long it's going to be, but I really have this fear of lying on my deathbed and wondering what could have happened. I want to know. Anything that comes to my head that I think that would be cool to know what that's going to turn out like, I'm going to push it. I'm going to push it as hard as I can. If it fails, that's totally cool. But at least I know I tried, and that's awesome, rather than that wondering. That, to me, is going to be the worst feeling at the end of it all, and I refuse to deal with that. So this really just pushes me to do work that matters to me, um, that matters to my maniacs, hopefully, and that matters to my family and friends. That's awesome. Yeah. And it sounds like it ties into that thing you said earlier about the birthdays and being aware of the passage of time. It sounds like, it sounds like those those two things are over overlap um, mm. and that there's only so many of those birthdays that, are, <laughs> that we all get in a lifetime. And then uh, how about future plans? Um, well, you're a pretty ambitious guy. You've accomplished a lot all ready, but any sort of big, hairy, audacious goals on the horizon or new things that you're working on that you would like to share? Two of them. I want to build myself a media empire. <laughs> Hack the Entrepreneur is going to be changed from just a crazy idea for a podcast into like a full-blown media empire is my goal. That's big, hairy, and audacious, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and my next one, on a personal note, I've had this for so long, and I'm actually... I, with people I've met and friends I've made, I'm shockingly close to possibly being to able to do this in September. But I want to play one show in any club in Tokyo in a punk rock band of all Japanese people and me. And I actually have the connections and I have friends who are those connections and are going to be in Tokyo for all of September and there's an invite for my family to go there as well, as well as like the rehearsal space is already set up and we're just going to have to go there and I'm going to have to figure out which band to join and to get a show. So this is something I've literally just, I don't know why, like not even like I've like set a goal. It's just since I was 15, I've just always had this obsession with Japan and Tokyo, Japanese hardcore, and just really just being like, wow, imagine just playing at a show where the only language, quote unquote, that we have in common is punk rock because I literally cannot say anything to them. But we just, they're going to play three chords. I'm going to play drums along to it and I'm going to get to play a show there. And I think it might actually become a reality in September, which is kind of nutty, but that's a personal goal. Well, I have no doubt knowing knowing as much as I do about you now that now that you have, you have had that vision, there's no way it's not going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm going to make it work, Rob. I'm going to make cool. it work. <laughs> Media empire and playing dr punk rock drums in Tokyo. I can see that. <laughs> they just go hand in hand. It's a natural. And so finally, this has been so awesome, John. Well, tell me, uh, tell where, where can people, and I'll have links in the show notes, but where can people find you online or, and information about your books and the podcast and all that? Excellent. Yeah. Hacktheentrepreneur.com. That's my main house on the internet at this point. You can email me if you want, john at hacktheentrepreneur.com if you have any questions or anything you want to just follow up with. Um, and if you just want to see sort of what I'll be putting out in the next weeks or months to come, uh, I'm on Twitter at John Naster. And that's really, I'm, I spend way too much time on there. 
But those are the three spots right. that are absolutely best to get me. And then John is J-O-N and Naster, N-A-S-T-O-R, right? Right. And, 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 on, and you spell out the whole word entrepreneur. Yeah, hack the entrepreneur, which I know is a tricky word because I know the name of this podcast is the creative entrepreneur. And even every time I'm spelling it out, I got to think where the E's and the U's go. Me too. Which is, me too. Me too. <laughs> it just it's me... actually, it's funny to see my Google Analytics because I see all the searches that people do to find the show. Mm-hmm. And it's just the hilarious like spellings of entrepreneur which I, they're probably all me but yeah it's a tough word it's not an easy word but it it works but i mean when you're if you want to email john and hack the entrepreneur i've actually set it up finally that you can spell john however you want spell johnny whatever it, it'll get to me okay so. <laughs> nice a catch-all email awesome well thanks a lot john i really appreciate you uh, being on the on the show and thanks for your time today Absolutely. My pleasure, Bob. Thanks. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening, folks. I'll be back with another interview or another episode of One Way or Another of The Creative Entrepreneur real soon. This is Bob Baker saying so long for now.